Welcome to the Elite Level Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Elaine, and this is the podcast where we explore how elite level performers think, act, and operate. As always, we've got an absolutely fantastic guest on this week. Alan, it's great to see you. Alex, appreciate the invitation. Absolutely. So Alan, for the guests out there who don't know who you are, if you could summarise your career in two minutes or less by telling us about some of your career highlights, who you are and what you do. Okay, so I'm currently a sales leader for a company called PatSnap based in London. And I started my career probably quite similar to a lot of my generation graduating without really having a clear path of what to do. So I kind of fell into sales Quite, let me use the term old school sales, telesales, making 100, 150 dollars a day. It was all about not making any excuses. Here's your list, here's your phone, go and make something happen. And then got curious into the more consultative side. So I then worked for a company called EasyNet, which was basically selling internet service, providing solutions to businesses. And then, and maybe this might pique your interest, Alex, top of my career in sales, doing well, and decided to leave. So I basically gave up my city job, so to speak, and went to study traditional Chinese medicine for four years before returning back as an SDR and then currently being in my position as head of sales for EMEA for PatSnap. Wow, what a story and a very well summarised, if I don't <laughs> say so myself. So Alan, a lot to unpack in that. I want to start with, I believe it was Pitney Bowes where you started out your career and there's a lot I can share in that, having started my career at Danwood and a, a printer and copier in essence manufacturer tell us about that experience because uh, I'm, I'm sure there were some hard hardened lessons that you maybe got from that type of experience there were some hard lessons in terms of like hard work as well so I think I learned more about hard work over smart work at that time so I think I didn't really have an understanding of what sales was it's more about what I saw on tv like your wolves of wall street like your boiler room which is good entertainment and I think I just really threw my in, myself in and I really just made it based on my work rate. I've always been someone, I have a martial arts background. So there was a lot of like cross influence between at that time how I was training and the system, if you're curious, that I, I do and still practice is Wing Chun, which is basically the system that Bruce Lee started his training in. And I took the same approach. It was coming in, working hard, not really talking much. If you remember me back in the old days, it was more about me coming in with really, really laser focus and just hitting the phones. So the biggest learning I had at that time was, I think, looking around at that time, a lot of my fellow graduates, they went into like admin type roles. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I realized through sales that the performance side could be really much linked to like carving out your own destiny, so to speak. So that was my first major learning that the more you put in, the more you can actually get out. And I've always been quite a goal orientated person and it just went from there. Mm. And from there, it was all about setting goals, which I got a little bit obsessed about. And maybe here's a, another talking point. I didn't really enjoy as much of the journey. It was more about what could I achieve and what was coming next. So that was a key learning for me at that time as well. You mentioned quite a bit about almost these external influences, whether it was martial arts or, you know, some of the things that seemed innate in you as a person, a, a level of drive, just getting out there and making things happen. I'm just curious in your background, how much of maybe your upbringing, whether it was parenting, just something that you felt was born into you. What type of influences did you have, maybe more so in your, your personal life that played a role in your early mentality? Happy to share, and I think it's it's good to be transparent. So I grew up in Camden area, around North London. Uh, 
two parents from a country called Laos. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Laos. At that time, no one was. So I used to sell from Thailand, which is next door to Laos. And I went to a school, which let's say I was one of the uh, minorities. I think there were probably around eight uh, people from my sort of Asian descent background in a school of about 100 pupils. Now that comes with some learnings because I think at that time, people maybe didn't as, as much embrace certain types of cultures. And coming from an immigrant background, my parents came over here after like the Vietnam War. So you see that type of um, struggle, like you come here and, you know, my parents wanted to create an environment or have us in an environment that we could better ourselves. And watching my sort of mum and dad are both influences, but my mum actually was a single parent. So my parents, short story, they separated, but then they got back together at some point, which is a great love story. But seeing my mum go through some struggles, to some extent working, you know, even two jobs just to make ends meet for myself and my brother, really ingrained a certain DNA. And I'm, based on my values and my family values, I am cut from the type of cloth that you do appreciate where you come from and you don't want to let certain important individuals down. So I think that influenced me a lot. And then just to add a bit more, I think growing up, there was an era where maybe certain things were misunderstood in terms of different cultures. So there was a lot of distractions of my generation and that's where I found martial arts and I wanted to do something good and positive and go down that path. So I think martial arts kept me on the narrow and straight and I sort of channeled that into selves as well. So maybe you can see some of the influences from that perspective. I can. And I think the phenomenal thing about doing these podcasts is you get to meet great people and learn where you share some synergies. There's a lot in your story I can relate to from the growing up in a single parent household, having a massive passion for, for combat sports. And we spoke a bit about that offline. And it's amazing how some of these types of influences and, and you know, scenarios can really help shape the mentality when it comes to, to being great at sales, having that drive, that passion, that motivation. So it's uh, definitely something to encourage other people to look at and think about, are there certain, whether it's sports or external influences that they can bring into their life to help give them a little bit of an edge. I want to fast forward to the time that you spoke about where you took some time out, it sounds like, to to go back to study. I think it's Chinese medicine that you mentioned. Bring us into that moment. Why did you take that decision at that time? I think one of the biggest lessons I learned at that time, so I reached burnout at an early stage of my sales career. I think I was a bit obsessive in the sense that I would literally wake up in the morning and be thinking, you know, I'm going to make two, 300 calls a day. And then your body takes its toll. I don't mind saying this is a bit of humor. That's the time I started to lose my hair as well. <laughs> and I actually had hair, I had a lot of hair. So in terms of the Chinese medicine, you could relate that a little bit more to martial arts. Martial arts is a lot more than kicking and punching. It's a lot more than fighting. And there's a bit of a violence connotation attached to it, which I think is very far from the actual subject. And I wanted to combine something that was more on the well-being and the healing side. So I think traditional Chinese medicine, when you're talking about things like acupuncture and, and herbal medicine, it's about really looking at a certain subject from a holistic perspective, which actually influenced me a lot in coaching. Because I believe when you manage reps, you've got to look at that rep as an individual rather than just a rep. So that was the big influence for me. And I think I had that moment in the city where I was looking around thinking there's got to be a bit more to life than just hitting the phones. So I took the leap of faith. You might see it as a bit foolish at that time or brave because people don't normally quit 
when they're at the height of their sales career, you know, earning quite good income, owning your own properties and whatnot. But I make that leap of faith. And um, it was a lot of learning after because I didn't realize that I came out and four years focus on studying. You're single, you still live with your mum, and, you know, you don't have the assets that you used to have, which was a moment for me in my late 20s. Wow. It's a really compelling story. This is really compelling, Alan. Um, I want to go back into that moment where you were feeling like you were starting to burn out, right? Because sure. this is something that I think we see time and time again in sales. We're in a space that's probably notorious for burnout. And there are some scenarios where in a way that the pace and intensity of the work that we do is celebrated in a way, right? And that brings a level of controversy. So now as a sales leader and being able to look back on that moment, you know, what really goes through your mind? If you were talking to that Alan again, how would you advise that Alan to go and actually navigate that period of their career? Great question. I think it's about really appreciating pit stops. I mean, you can hit your targets, you can exceed your targets. Just give you an idea how extreme I was. I didn't believe in the concept of taking holidays. So if I was to talk to Alan, maybe 10 years ago, I'd be like, what are you thinking? Like, if you look at sales, and I, I use the term corporate athletes, because that's what we are. It's a contact game. You contact people, you go through the highs and lows, you need that mental resilience, and also you need the focus. If you look at an athlete or someone in a high performance environment, you, you need to know how, you can only be at your best or perform at your best if you are at your best. So taking all the elements of emotion, your mindset, being physical. And at that time, I was very physical. Well, I like to think I'm reasonably fit now, but you know, at that time, young, fit, high immunity. I think if I was talking to myself at that time, I would say to myself, enjoy the ride. It's not about the destination. There's going to be many stop-off points, but give yourself more self-regard. So I get a lot of coaching as well from executive coach, which is one of my investments into myself. And I'm learning that actually in one of the reports that I, I did, happy to share transparently, I scored quite low in self-regard. So as a leader, if you want to promote self-regard, you've got to drink from the same Kool-Aid that you're serving. So I would say practice a lot more what you preach to the, the younger Alan at that time, because I think I was saying a lot of the right things, how I would like people to live their lives but I might not necessarily be adopting it myself interesting yeah it's um, really interesting hearing you reflect on yourself in that fashion that one of the parts I'm curious in in what you spoke about there is that you said you also looked up at one point and realized I don't have some of the assets that I used to have I'm still living at home as you mentioned single so there was almost this paradigm where in a way you were maybe prioritizing wellness and, and your education but then on the other side you weren't necessarily in a position in life that you'd maybe become accustomed to historically so how do you then find that balance because if I was a listener I might be saying well I get Get a level of self-worth and enjoyment in my life from the lifestyle that I've created for myself. And one of the prerequisites of that is just the hard work and the grind that I'm putting in now. How do you, you know, almost strike that balance between making sure that you can run at a pace that means you can create the life that you want whilst equally making sure that you look after yourself at the same time? So I think the first thing comes down to self-awareness. I think at that time, although I think I lived with certain values, I wasn't as ironed out or defined what my actual 
human values were. I know we have company values, but I think all human beings have their their values that they adhere to. So I think that was a big moment for me. But also looking back, and I'm glad that I can say this now in hindsight, it was a great experience for me because I learned some key lessons. So my return to sales after studying four years of Chinese medicine, I came in with a different mindset. Now, what was quite hard was I was in the peak of my career. A lot of people that I had mentored at that time that came in as graduates had like overtaken where I was. So you can imagine the psychological impact that would have had on me. But taking a, a humble approach and just focusing on the basics and just, again, starting as an SDR and trying to embrace how technology and cultures has evolved, because I came from quite a corporate background, Pitney Bowes, and then joining like a, I wouldn't say a small startup, but a tech company where on my first day of introducing myself, I hit, had to hit a gong in front of 30 people and, and say a few words, which... If you had said that to me five years ago, I would have been like, what am I doing? This is crazy. Why are people <laughs> But tech and cultures had evolved. And I think me having that humble moment and that highlight was actually a good learning lesson, which I think has really given me a bit more to maybe get to the platform that I can thankfully sort of share from now. Yeah, absolutely. I, when I kind of reflect over some of my own journey in, in a certain regard, one thing that I often say to people is really to focus on pursuing things that you're passionate about in life. Because when I look at a career in sales, certainly software sales, there has to be, in my view, a level of acceptance of, of the pace and the need to build a level of resilience because it's not an easy job, right? You, you can't walk into a role like this or a world like this, do the bare minimum and just get away with it, right? The, the people who are performing at the top level, they do have an operating system that is demanding, right? As much as you have to have balance in your life, it is demanding. So I think where you have love for something or a level of passion for something, it really makes the difference because it doesn't mean you then can't burn out. But what it means is that you're waking up every day with a lot more vision, a lot more purpose, more of an intent, right, in the way that you can go about that day. So I'd really encourage people to just look at what they're doing right now and say, where am I deriving passion? Where am I deriving energy? Am I waking up with that feeling of real mission, vision and purpose? And if that's the case, I think you're giving yourself a much better opportunity to operate with a level of pace and urgency without finding yourself, you know, falling off a cliffhanger at the other end. Hopefully that resonates as well, your side, Alan. Now, let's talk a bit about you being a, a sales leader, right? And, and that progression from the point of being an SDR and stepping back in the ring and then working your way up. Just walk us through the steps that you took, your mentality as you took those steps, and then we'll, we'll work from there. Sure. So post-Chinese medicine degree, moving in as an SDR. So imagine you're top AE, and then you leave sales for a bit, and then you return as an SDR. There's nothing wrong with the SDR role. I think it's a great platform to start. But try starting that after six years of being a top AE. So that's a, that's a big humbling pie. So I think if you look at my LinkedIn, I had three roles as an SDR in three different companies, which was for three years. So it took me a bit of time to find my flow again. But I think what really did it for me was I was trying to, you know, learn more and, and embrace more how SaaS has evolved. Because SaaS wasn't really around per se at the time that I first started my career. But what did it for me was having that humbling experience to say, look, it's almost like martial arts, right? If you've been at the game for a while and you're unfit, you get a good self-realization. You might have been able to do 50 push-ups, but at that time, if you can't even do five, 
you get that insight, but what do you do about it? So I stuck to my principles, working hard, being open, sharing, accepting that I'm not where I want to be, and then just focusing on key specific goals on a weekly, monthly basis and hitting them. So I brought it back down to basics to the point where I think after three years, metaphorically, I was fit and healthy again and in fighting mode. And then having missed being an AE for so long, so if you think about it, and I had this in the interview process, the person that interviews, interviewed me said, Alan, you've not been in the sales cycle for eight years. Imagine how much that hit. But then I also took that as motivation. So there's two ways you can take that. And then I just came in, worked really hard. Fortunately enough, the company that I joined, PatSnap, was at a pivotal moment where compelling product, good timing, innovation was at the forefront of what companies did because we provide an innovation platform. And I just worked hard and, yeah, excelled. Um, Sorry if I sound a bit self-narcissistic there. But um, from that moment on, it was, I guess, the martial arts influence because I'm also a martial arts instructor. So the teaching element is very similar to coaching. And I would find that there were account executives, maybe new, that couldn't really cope and was adapting to that high growth type pace, which does force you to reinvent yourself and does really push you to have a growth mindset. Otherwise, it's quite hard to survive. And they would ask me questions like, Alan, how do you do this? Or how come you can do that and, and we can't? And I actually enjoyed that coaching and teaching part and got a lot of fulfillment from seeing people do really well. And it just organically grew from there. And then from then on, I think if you reference Jack Ma a little bit, he says, and maybe I was late to this, in your 20s to 30s, he said, what's more important than actually finding the right company is finding the right mentor or the right coach because you need to learn from that person. And if you think about it, Alex, a lot of happiness in life or whatever you want to achieve comes from other people, not just from yourself. And I think me having that moment where I thought it's all about what I can do, slightly old school, like I don't need anybody, but actually it's far from the truth. You do need people. You do need influences. You do need people that can keep you in check as well, your environment. And I think from there, you know, 30 to 40, Jack Ma says, you need to know what you're good at. Because he says, if you don't do that in your 40s and 50s, you're going to be too old to to basically pivot to anything else. So I think at this point now, being a sales leader, so to speak, or I look at it as a platform where I can actually really add value and help people based on also adding value to myself, because the saying is you can't give water from a well if that well is empty. So it's important on me as well to keep myself invested and 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 giving myself um like the juice in order to then train onwards so i would say that was the the key thing and i i feel quite honored in a sense that i wake up you talk about passion for me it's like i i get up in the morning and there's so many individual talented individuals i get to work with and it's not really work i know people say the cliche but i think if you don't surround yourself in the right environment or you have some idea what your true north is at a certain point in your career it becomes draining. You're not adding value. You're actually taking or detracting value from yourself. And I'm, I'm a massive believer that like as you, without putting age into it, but as you get older, you're like a battery. You're not going to get more energy as you get older. So you need to prioritize where your energy is. And I think in optimizing and prioritizing, you, you then get more fulfillment.
Absolutely. Alan, you are a well of wisdom oh, wow. is what's going through my mind right now. A, a ton to unpack in that. And um, certainly on that, you know, we hear about work-life balance consistently. And I often have that the, the saying of having work-life harmony, because whether you're an entrepreneur, you're in sales or doing anything else, we, we spend a lot of our lives in some capacity working, right? And so it's uh, absolutely important, one, to surround yourself with great people, two, to enjoy what you're doing, and and three, to, to go for it, right? We get one shot, we get one opportunity at this thing called life. Why not go all in, right? There was so much in what you just said. One of the things that stood out to me was actually the beginning of what you said when you mentioned being an SDR and that time about the transition, right, to, to try and take that step up. And then someone said to you, Alan, you've actually not, closed the deal or been in a full cycle for eight years. And you said, it was all about my mentality and the way that I saw it. That's a really poignant point. And I think something that a lot of people don't always find easy to navigate is actually when you're in that moment where things maybe haven't gone your way, you're not in the place in life that you expect to be. You're an SDR and you think you deserve to be an AE or you're an AE and you think you deserve to be a manager, but that opportunity isn't quite there. How do you have that introspection to be able to say, let me look at this situation and I'm going to intentionally view it differently? How does someone go about doing that? So I think a lot of it comes down to your own accountability. So we've heard of the blame game, which probably one of the easiest games to play, but the hardest game to win or you don't really win it. And if you do win the blame game, you've actually lost. So I think at that time, I did put a lot of that accountability on me in terms of the things that I needed to adapt to. I think a lot of my life, it's been a case where I do like challenges. So one of the biggest things that motivates me, and I've had this a lot in my my life, not just my career, is when someone says, you can't do something. That for me, it's like a limited belief. Now, it doesn't mean that I'm going to be the next Elon Musk, but I think if you live your life with a limitation, then maybe quoting Bruce Lee, like use no limit, use limitation as no limitation, right? So I think for me, getting that mindset right first was the side for me to sort of cope with going through that challenge. And I think the rest of it is just embracing like your own standard, going at your own pace. I think it's very easy. Sometimes misery in life comes from comparison. You know, you drive a BMW, the next person drives a more expensive Mercedes, makes the BMW look like nothing now. So I think it's just keeping yourself in check and having that patience which is quite hard because in my experience, good salespeople don't have a lot of patience. But I think really having that patience and having that focus and just believing that over time, as long as you do the right things and focus on the right activities, you'll get the small wins, which will then eventually lead to the bigger wins. And I think don't think too much about the prize. I think it's almost like a fight to thinking too much about the purse. That can distract you in the ring. And you might have prepared the best you can, but if you have that moment where your guard drops slightly then you might have the sleeping pill. (laughs) Absolutely. We just saw that with Tyson Fury and Dillian White, didn't we? It was a good punch. (laughs) It was a very good shot indeed. You mentioned, you know, one of the the traits that you've seen in, um, you know, what separates different performers, right, in sales. So let's let's dig into that scene as we are the elite level podcast. Let's talk about what separates elite level sales performers from everyone else, especially now that you've been a sales leader for quite some time. What are the traits, characteristics, um, behaviors that really uh, have stood out to you consistently with the elite level performers? So I'll keep it down to basics first. I think in my observation, I guess it's just my journey, I think top salespeople like or not necessarily like, 
they do a lot of the things that the other salespeople don't like to do. For example, prospecting. Okay. So I always say to my team, like, we focus a lot on closing and revenue, but you can't close what you don't have. So it's, it's on you and it is your accountability to ensure that you are equally balancing your time on generating pipelines. So I think that's something that I see a lot of salespeople struggle with. It's not rocket science. If you open more opportunities, then you can close more. But I think it's one of those things that's hard to do. It's almost like boxing, right? I'm sorry, we're now going to the boxing analogies. But if you're not doing your road work and you're not working on your specifics in the gym, then it's going to affect the way you perform on the night. And I think, like Muhammad Ali said, you know, he, he hated training every day, but he did it because he knew what it, it would allow him to achieve the results that he achieved. So you don't necessarily have to like it, but it's that discipline area. So maybe I'll use that one word, discipline. I think top salespeople are a lot more disciplined than maybe your salespeople are not as, as performing. That's one thing. I think the other thing is having a unique blend of intelligence in terms of IQ. I think emotional intelligence plays a bigger part. What do I mean by that? If a prospect says to you, yes, does it really mean yes? They say no, does it really mean no? And can you fill the cell at the right time to then interject, validate or pivot where necessary? That's a very hard thing to train. And I think the top salespeople have that natural read on that type of situation. And the other thing is just drive. I think it's very hard to coach someone to be driven. I think elements of it maybe are intrinsic. Everyone's got their own different Simon Sinek why. But I think if they can really channel those whys and those drives and add on those other two attributes, you normally get, in my opinion, a top rep. Makes a ton of sense. And it's uh, it's fascinating. Uh, obviously, I love the uh, analogies and, and they all make a ton of sense. And I've mentioned before an analogy by Chris Eubank, where sure. he said that, you know, becoming a, a top elite boxer for him was a pretty black and white thing. He looked at the other world champions and the other people in his era who were training, you know, five times a week and, and training twice a day. And his simple equation was, well, if I train six days a week, three times a day, just by simple math, I'm likely to outperform, be better conditioned or, or more, you know, mentally prepared for this. Many, much of that, I think, plays well into the, the type of career path that we're in. If you put in the hard yards, if you're willing to, you know, prioritize discipline over being motivated, you'll go and drive the results. But to your point, it's not always the glamorous stuff that a lot of the top performers are prioritizing, which is really uh, interesting to hear you validate. Now, equally on the other side, you've got performers that maybe have had a harder time being able to rise through the ranks or perform consistently. Have, what are some of the key mistakes or you know things that you see people rinsing and repeating all of the time where you thought, if you just mitigated these things, that would be the thing that would help you break through that potential plateau in your career? So let me piggyback a little bit off about what you mentioned with Chris Eubank. So I think a lot of people, sales can be quite complicated in the sense that I think human beings can complicate it. I think it's really having that self-awareness to work on the certain specifics that you need to. And of course you need a good coach because you need someone to also look at it from the outside to see where you might be making those slight mistakes. I think that's a big part too. But my martial arts instructor actually used to be a sparring partner in the Chris Eubank and Nigel Benny era. And one thing he always said to me about Chris Eubanks was, like he's very known for his, his right cross. And what some people don't realize is Chris Eubank would spend hours in the gym punching the heavy bag just doing that right cross. 
So I think it's understanding your gaps. And it's like Bruce Lee was saying a quote, he didn't fear the person, I won't use Mao, say person, that knew a thousand techniques, but he would fear the person that practiced that one technique a thousand times. So I think once you've got that self-awareness, let's just say it's on the sales call, being able to do an effective discovery. How much are you then practicing that and making a habit to where you've got potentially that knockout power in terms of discovery? So there's so many things you can work on in sales. Just pick one or two and then work on it and measure your progress. I think that would be quite important advice from my perspective that's really really valuable that one uh hit hit me pretty heavy right <laughs> hope people not like you bang heavy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly so for, for you now alan you know as a sales leader right you've been in a number of leadership roles and continue to climb your career and i think you had some time away from pat snap and then you, you came back i, I really want to learn more about your evolution as a leader and and actually if you were talking to other people out there who either want to become or they're early in their leadership journey some of the key lessons and learnings that you've had around what it takes to be a best-in-class leader it'd be great to just put that out there as a general question that's a great question because we've just promoted some uh, growing leaders internally and so it's quite fitting so I think the first thing to do my advice is try to understand the difference between the world of an IC and a world of a sales leader, because I think they're very different. I think when you're an IC, sometimes you think the natural path is to become a sales manager, sales director, or a VP of sales. But it's very different in how your mindset is, how you approach, because when you're an IC, it's more straightforward. You're like a horse with blinkers, you have a number, and it's on you to find creative ways to make that number work and overachieve. When you're a sales leader or a sales manager, let's say you've got six individuals, You've got six individuals, all with six different personalities, all with six different types of competency levels and six different types of challenges that come with all human beings. Plus, you have the pressure then from the company to produce results. That's quite a shock to the system if you've just come from an IC background. And I think in my experience, a lot of ICs can struggle and I struggled at the beginning with that. I think what did it for me was really when you come to peace with what you actually are trying to achieve by becoming a sales leader. And I've spoken to some reps that have transitioned and there's always that concern about, oh, I earned 300 grand as an IC and as, as a sales leader, I don't know if I'm going to do this, that and the other. And it's, I know it sounds a bit contradictory, but you shouldn't make it purely focused about money as the outcome. You really need to have true fulfillment, in my opinion, in developing people because the more you, you plant the seeds, and if you go back to the basics, planting seeds is starting from recruitment. Not every seed will sprout into what you want it to be. And then you've got to give those seeds in that environment the right water, which is like resource. You need sunlight, which is like you know inspiration, warmth. You need guidance, all of those things. And then from that, you can then talk about influencing the number. So it's like the number's always important in sales, right? That's We're in the revenue business it's how much time you're willing to to grow your team to get them to a certain level where they can take care of that number. 
Interesting. Yeah, it's very, very fascinating because to your point, a lot of people would be sitting there, sitting out there thinking, you know, I am the AE and I think I'm ready. It's time uh, in many cases because it's just the natural next step. It's just the thing you do. You go from AE to, to manager. But in reality, is that person sitting thinking about what do I want to get out of that experience? Why do I actually want to be a leader? And to your point, that developing talent piece really is at the the, the core and the crux of it, but is maybe sometimes overlooked a bit, especially once people say that maybe actually your top IC will often likely out earn their manager. and, And some people don't necessarily consider some of these things. So if there was someone who wanted to make the transition, right, they wanted to go from account executive to first-time leader, what are the best steps you would say that they should take as an AE and the things that they should make themselves aware of before they actually put their hand up to make that transition? So I'm a big believer that you don't have to have the title to basically start working on the competencies needed. So for example, if you're an SDR, you don't need to wait to be an AE to develop the skills to be an AE. Equally, if you want to be a sales leader, say you're an IC, don't wait till you're promoted. So there's so much things you can do. You can work with reps. You can learn how to coach. You can work very closely with your VP of sales and ask for more responsibility. Like be proactive. Don't wait. I really enjoy it. And it's a massive, massive inspiration to me when any of my team come with ideas. And I find that part is quite lacking in a lot of uh, situations in companies because sometimes people just wait to be told what to do. Like, take the initiative, be proactive. There's so many things you can do. But the question is, are you willing to do those things before you get to that point? It's like Richard Branson said, like, are you going to wait for the opportunity to come before you develop the skills? Or do you develop it before it happens so that when it comes, you're ready? So I would say, Take that approach. There's so much you can do. There's so much you can learn. Yes, you'd have to do additional, but you want to be in the top elite, right? I would say that's that's a key thing that you could focus on. That was a great piece of advice there, Alan. So I really appreciate you sharing that with us. I want to now talk a bit about your drive and your motivation now at this stage of your career. Some people would say you've had a long tenured career, right? You've achieved some fantastic things, become a head of sales uh, and really taken your career to that next level. So at this particular stage, what is it that really drives you? What really drives me is what I'm doing every day. It's, again, I repeat myself, but it's bettering people. Like we've got some really like privileged cases in case studies in Patsnap where we've had people join as SDRs and one individual just got promoted to a sales manager. So that for me, it's like, you know, a great opportunity for me to hopefully help that person develop those skills. So I would say that still drives me on a daily basis. In terms of like personal goals, again, taking a learning from the past. Alex, I'm just enjoying the journey. You know, like the company I'm working for now, you know, we're what I like to think potentially a pre-IPO business, but you can get very caught up in that, right? For me, it's just about helping to develop people and continually contributing and building a good business and enjoying the moments, right? I mean, this is an interesting point. I've not had a two-week holiday in about 10 years. I've not gone on a two-week holiday. So uh, I'd like to achieve that this year. So having those also non-negotiables and, and things to help with my self-regard, and I think you learn a lot, and I think a big influence is, is family life for me anyway. You know, I've got two kids. My wife's uh, also one of my best coaches as well. I think, you know, if you have a good partner, that person can really help keep you in check. But they 
they go through it as well. And I think for me, I've got to a point where it's not about, we talk about work-life balance, but I think it's more evolved to work-life integration. You got to integrate it. And it's easier to integrate it if you really believe in what you're doing and what you're doing it for. Absolutely. Makes makes a ton of sense. And, you know, you've spoken about the support that you have at home. You have spoken a lot through this episode about the need to have great mentorship. You said you have an executive coach yourself. Mm -hmm. So it'd be great if you could just share your thoughts and advice around people out there who maybe don't have one at the moment, how they could go about sourcing one, maybe things that they should look out for in terms of outputs and outcomes that they should and could expect from that type of service or person. Sure. So I think the great thing about this day and age is information is available now, right? For example, sitting with you. So I think you don't need to have an executive coach. I do it for my own reasons, but I think within your own workplace, I'm sure there's going to be someone that can be a good mentor to you. You just need to seek them out. I think it's about really educating yourself. There's so many recommendations on certain books and things like that. But I think you need just to have the thirst and the hunger to learn and be coachable always be open, always be, ABC is not just always be closing, it's always be curious. So I think just keep that curious mindset. And uh, actually an, an idea, I think there's a lot of people willing to give. One thing I also want to do this year, if it's, if it's of any use to anyone, is actually mentor someone not from within my company. Very similar to similar what you're doing. I'm not sure maybe I can take them to 200K like you, but definitely having that external person that can give guidance. Absolutely. And I think that says a lot about, you know, the way that you're thinking and acting and now this stage of your career where you have so much wisdom and so many stories, it can really be transformative for someone out there. And sometimes I often say, I know in myself, I feel I have a, a duty to give back, a duty to make a difference. It's a big part of why I started the podcast is really to help you know, bring on phenomenal leaders like yourself to be able to shine that bit of light, right? And go one to many in terms of being able to share that. When you think of your own legacy, you know, Alan, and you really look ahead and, and, and I guess maybe if you think 30, 40 years ahead and you're, you know, in that rocking chair saying, you know, this is what I, this is the legacy that I wanted to leave on this world. What does that really look like for you? So I think for me, if I was to look back, it sounds really simple. I mean, we talk about things like servant leadership and whatnot. I, I'd like to be known as a leader that just led with good values. Simple as that. Wow. Because we talk about servant leadership and servant leadership is a lot about what you're serving. And I'm quite into my analogies. And maybe you like this one. But as a leader, do we also think about what we're serving and how it's received? If you go to a restaurant, the waiter might think they're serving you a great dish, but when you eat it, it's not that great. But we're still talking about servant leadership. So I think it's taking it to the other level where as a servant you are very self-aware of what you're serving and whether what you're serving actually is adding value to that individual because it's not just it's not just about serving so i think a leader with good values and i enjoyed working with him phenomenal phenomenal I've really been sitting and digesting so much of this uh, episode, actually, Alan, as we've been going. And I think it says a lot about, again, the wisdom and the, the knowledge that you're able to impart. And I'm sure your, your team must be humbled and grateful for being able to, you know, soak all of that up on a daily basis. Now, Alan, I've got just one last question for you, which if you've seen any episodes and you'll know what's coming, but it's just to really ask you that if you were talking to anyone out there who wants to go from good to elite level in their career, what your best piece of advice would be to that person? Good question. Don't wait, just get off zero. So for example, I've recently just, I got burnt by crypto and now I'm finding my way to get back in. But the advice is just to start 
and you'd be so um, amazed at just starting where it might take you. Don't think too much about where you want to go. Just think about, have an idea of the destination, but get on the boat. I would say just start. Nike says, just do it, right? Just Just do it, yeah. (laughs) Now, just do it now. (laughs) Get out there and make it happen. Well, look, Alan, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Appreciate you traveling down. I think it's your first in-person podcast, so that will be a new non-physical trophy for your mantelpiece. So again, thanks so much for coming down. To anyone out there that's been listening or watching, again, if this is on YouTube, please be sure to press that like button, comment, share, and subscribe. And if you're listening to this on any of the podcasting platforms, please do be sure to leave a five-star review. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode as always, and we'll see you on the next one.